at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Two celebrity deaths in the space of 24 hours. News breaking this morning that uh, acclaimed actor Sidney Poitier had passed away at the age of 94. Uh, I, I Maybe for, for younger people, they don't appreciate, you know, all the successful movies that Sidney Poitier was involved in. But if you, I think you can make a strong argument that, for about a 10-year period, starting in the late 1950s and running through pretty much the end of the 60s, Sidney Poitier was as influential an actor who was involved in more significant movies and movies that, that hold up over time maybe than, than any other actor in, in any sort of similar period. I mean, if you look at the body of his work over the, that 10-year period or so, and you look at some of those movies and you say, okay, his, there, there are perhaps people who went on to have, you know, careers that were for two, three, four decades, you know, they've been involved in, uh, you know, great movies. Tom Hanks, of course, would be somebody that would come to mind. Robert De Niro, if you could put aside the politics, De Niro might be one. But I was just looking at, at the, the various movies that Sidney Poitier was involved in. And, I mean, his career really goes back to the early 1950s. But, you know, he was in, had smaller roles in some cutting-edge films like The Blackboard Jungle in 1955. But then... He really came to prominence, I would argue, in 1958. There's a movie called Defiant Ones where he and Tony Curtis play, yes, that Tony Curtis, play um, as prisoners escaped from a chain gang. And they're, they're trying to get away. And, and of course, the, the underlying story is he is black and Tony Curtis is white. And it's a study in race relations and all these sort of different issues. It is an incredibly powerful movie. And it's a powerful movie in 2022. It was a really powerful movie in 1958. And it, it holds up extremely well. Um, so if you get a chance to ever to see that, you have it. It's called The Defiant Ones. I, I highly recommend it. After that, and he, by the way, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor. Didn't win in 1958. But, you know, he went on to do a series of other movies um, between 58 and 61. And then starting in 61, he, he got involved in just some incredible movies. He was um, a star of A Raisin in the Sun, where he played, again, a lot of the movies, this is against the backdrops of the civil rights movement. You had Sidney Poitier. He played an, an highly educated black man who was working with um, like an illiterate um blind white woman and again it was a racial study and it was if you want to put it into simple terms it was well love is blind very controversial movie there's a scene where the two of them kiss an interracial kiss that they had to edit out when they showed the movie in the american south but um again it's another movie that holds up extremely well that's 1961 and then 1963 he became the first black actor, African-American actor, to win an Oscar for his performance in uh, Lilies of the Field. And if you haven't seen Lilies of the Field, you, you really should. It's a, it's an incredibly well-made 
movie and it just it, again it's another one that that holds up after that he did a movie like called a patch of blue and then um number of other movies as well to sir with love where um he he plays the the teacher the the instructor in a british school he's outstanding in that then in 67 so that was 67 he did to sir with love in 67 he did the movie in the heat of the night with rod steiger where he plays a, a black police captain or detective or whatever from chicago who comes into the segregated south to work to solve a murder and the relationship between him and rod steiger in the heat of the night is an incredible movie just an incredible movie that was nominated i believe for an oscar as well and also in 1967 he he was in guess who's coming to dinner which was the last movie spencer tracy performed and actually spencer tracy died a couple weeks after filming of that movie ended but it was again a story of an interracial romance where Sidney portier played a, a very accomplished black doctor who was going to marry a, a white woman who's the daughter of Sidney portier and um Catherine Hepburn, and it's that that was just an incredible movie as well. These are amazing performances, and then he went on to have a you know a long and storied career. Did lots of other movies beyond that, but I that that one ten year period where you did all those incredible movies. I mean, I don't know, again, there's another American actor that ever had a streak where in such a limited period of time, they had so many just incredible roles. So um, Sidney Poitier passing away at the age of 94. The other celebrity death within the last 24 hours, sort of a, a Peter Bogdanovich, who you, you may or may not be familiar with, um, he passed away at the age of 82. Peter Bogdanovich, well, but Peter Bogdanovich was a very... Um, sort of controversial Hollywood figure. He, w- he was a director who had incredible success early in his career. His first, I think his second movie was The Last Picture Show, which I think some people could argue is one of the best four or five movies ever made. Just an incredibly good um good movie. It starred uh, Cloris Leachman, for example, who we talked about last week, who passed away last year. But it was it, it's about a small Texas town that's kind of dying. It's an incredibly well-made movie. And after Last Picture Show, he did Paper Moon with Tatum O'Neill and Ryan O'Neill, which was a movie set in the Depression. Again, a, a big commercial success and very, very successful. But what ended up happening is after those two movies, he kind of went into the tank and he performed. I mean, he, he continued to make movies, but most of the movies were either commercial and or critical failures. I mean, he had a couple of things. Mask with Cher in 1985 did well. But but in general, he, he never was able to really recreate that that big buzz that he had in his first few movies. He's also one of these guys who, whose career was marked by a certain degree of tragedy, just like Roman Polanski. And I have no love lost for Roman Polanski, you know, who is, I think, a child rapist. But Roman Polanski was kind of screwed up when his wife, Sharon Tate, is killed by the Manson family in a spectacular murder. Well, um, you know, Peter Bogdanovich was romantically involved with with a Playboy model slash actress called Dorothy Stratton, named Dorothy Stratton, who was killed by her estranged husband. And, and this got a lot of attention as well. So it was one of those things where clearly there was a lot of public 
turmoil and stuff in, involving that as well. But Peter Bodanovich, for a new generation of viewers, he might be best known for a little role he played on the TV show The Sopranos. He was the psychiatrist for Tony Soprano's psychiatrist, the um, Lorraine Bracco role. She she played the psychiatrist to Tony Soprano, and you know she went to a psychiatrist, and that was Peter Bogdanovich. So I, it was one of these guys who were a big hit. He was always around Hollywood, um, had a lot of success early in his life, and, and after that kind of had a lot of personal problems, a lot of financial problems, had trouble recreating that past glory, but still um, a very, very influential figure in American movies, and two of them passing away within the last 24 hours. I wish uh, the rest in peace to both of them. All right. When we come back, let's talk about how you're dealing with the ongoing pandemic. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We've been told during the course of the pandemic for going on a couple of years now that we have to follow the science. And, And the problem is that the science changes as we learn more about the various variants. And as new variants for COVID come out, the, the rules that used to apply to one variant don't, don't necessarily apply to, to others. And, and yet, for some reason, we, we still insist on are putting in certain rules, even though there's no evidence necessarily that those rules work. So it was with interest that I saw that in England, and of course, England's been hit hard by COVID in general, and this latest variant, the Omicron variant in particular. Well, uh, yesterday, England announced that they were scaling back their restrictions on people traveling to England. You might say, what, what do you mean, Jeff, scaling back? Don't we realize that this, this pandemic is raging? Well, yeah, scaling back. So what, what they had, the rule was that um, up until this week, if you were going to fly to Great Britain, you needed to take a test, a COVID test, before your trip. Well, they've now done away with that. They said, well, you, you don't have to do that anymore. They still have a requirement that you have to take a test after you've been in the country for a couple of days, but you don't need a test to get into the country. And they said, okay, well, here, here's why we did it. We put in the stricter travel restrictions in late November, when the Omicron variant was first identified. All right, so that's what we did. But they say it didn't work. (laughs) It just didn't work. They say now Omicron is so prevalent, the measures are having limited impact on the growth of cases while continuing to pose significant costs on the travel industry. So what they're saying is it's it's not worth the effort. It's not doing enough to accomplish the the goal. So we're we're just going to get rid of it. Why have a rule in place? A rule that, again, is imposing all sorts of of hardship, or if not hardship, it's imposing all sorts of extra hoops and concerns and problems for travelers. And we see no evidence that it's, it's making any sort of difference at all. And I applaud Britain for doing that because it, it, it's tough. The knee-jerk reaction is, okay, well, we, we've, you know, this is what we thought was the right thing to do a year and a half ago, and we're going to just continue to do this without necessarily thinking whether or not it's going to make any difference at all. I was thinking about that based on a conversation we had yesterday. The, the Milwaukee Common Council is pushing to reinstate the indoor mask mandates, and they're thinking of putting an, an ordinance in effect. Well, th- that's all well and good. And they, they say, well, look, we, we've got we've got these Omicron numbers that are going through the roof. Now, of course, the 
problem with that is there's all sorts of communities across the state, across the country that have had mask mandates in place for the last several months, indoor mask mandates, outdoor mask mandates. And they're seeing the same explosion in COVID cases as are the places that don't have the mask mandates. So I think a fair conclusion would be, huh, maybe maybe the mask mandates don't make any difference one way or the other, or at best, they, they just with the new variant that's out there, maybe it, it just, it's, it's marginal, but, but only marginal at best. So if that's the case, it's a, you, the question then becomes, is it worth it, you know, if there's only a marginal sort of benefit? Now, I, I think the problem with the mask mandates is, frankly, given how infectious Omicron is, most of the masks that we wear are pretty much useless. The cloth masks, and now there's all sorts of studies that are coming out, the, the cloth masks that, you know, don't fit tightly, that allow air to get in and out, it, it's almost like wearing nothing at all when it comes to this particular variant. Maybe they were more effective against, you know, previous versions of COVID, but this latest one is so very infectious that unless you're going to have one of those high-end surgical masks that's pretty much fitted to your face, it, it's questionable how much, if any, difference this is going to make. So I, I only throw this out there because I think some of our elected officials and some of the health officials are going to have to take a look at some of the recommendations that are out there in light of what is going on now and ask themselves the question, okay, this particular rule might have made sense against the Delta variant when the Delta variant was in the country you know, several months ago. But are, are we fighting the are we fighting the last war by saying okay let's use these procedures that we talked about with delta and and let's go back to putting them in place for this new variant without necessarily any evidence that it makes any sort of significant difference i throw that out there for consideration and britain is a great example of that britain saying hey look our our reaction Omicron was, we're, we're going to limit travel, we're going to impose all these requirements and proof of this and that and the other thing beforehand, but we've done it and we found it hasn't worked. So we're, we're not going to just keep doing it um, simply for the sake of doing it. Which brings me to the, the question that I, I want to throw out to you. As I've said repeatedly over the last couple of weeks, I know more people who have been diagnosed with COVID in the last three weeks than I do in the last two years. And in the cases of the people I know, it's it ranges in age from 17 to upper 80s. It ranges in situations from people, in all cases, everybody I know has been vaccinated and many people have had their boosters on top of it. I, I know people who are extremely healthy who've gotten it, and I also know people who have, you know, over the last couple of years or so, gone through extensive cancer treatments and things like that, and, and, and they've gotten it. Now, the good news, is that in every single case that I know, and again, I, th- I attribute this to the fact that people are vaccinated, in every single case I know, nobody has been really sick. I mean, people have been a little, it, it has ranged from, I didn't know I had COVID, I was shocked when the test came back positive, to, oh, I felt a little bit tired, or I had the sniffles, to, it was kind of like a bad hangover, to, well, you know, I, I, I felt like I kind of had a cold for a day or two. So th- that's been the case. Nobody I know, thankfully, knock on wood, had any sort of severe symptoms. Nobody had to go to an emergency room. Nobody had to be put in the hospital. And I attribute it to the fact that in all these cases, they were people who, you know, were, were vaccinated and were boosted. So the impact was was mild. And that in and of itself, to me, is justification for getting the, the booster. But but everybody's getting it. 
And you look at these numbers. My gosh, I've got the most recent data here. It, it's just it is just an absolute explosion. And the number of cases of COVID that are being reported, I think, is just a fraction of the number of cases that there really are. What is my evidence for that? Well, now I don't know about you, but a lot of people are taking these at home COVID tests. Right. You, you can go out, you go to the pharmacy, you, you buy the at home covid test. Well, you give yourself the test and you you don't I have no idea what percentage. But my guess is the vast majority of people who maybe test positive at home, they, they don't they don't call up the Department of Health and say, I, I've tested positive. They just say, OK, I've tested positive, but I'm not feeling bad. And then they just follow the advice. So I don't even know that we have any reliable way now to measure exactly how many people have COVID. But my guess is it's a lot more than even these huge numbers that we are are seeing. So, I mean, I, th- I think it is prevalent. And I mean, I don't mean to be alarmist or defeatist, but I, I'm, I'm almost of the opinion that with this latest variant, I, I'm kind of thinking that pretty soon almost everybody is going to either get it or have had it. And maybe you've already had it. And you haven't known that you've had it because you've been asymptomatic. And as long as you're vaccinated and or boosted, the chances of being really sick aren't aren't very great. But we're all getting it. And at least in the short term, whether it's couple days or a couple weeks or a month or two, I, I think most of the experts are saying that this isn't going to change. I mean, it's just it's people are going to continue to get it and get it and get it, and then they're going to get over it, and, and then they are, are going to move on. So our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, I want to, no pun intended, I want to take your temperature. How worried are you? about this current strain of, of COVID. I mean, are, are you worried that you're going to get it and be hospitalized? Are you worried that, you know, people around you are going to get it and be hospitalized? Um, to the point that given how many people have this, it, it, it really, I, I'm curious as to what people are going to do. I mean, are you just terrified about this? Is it we're going in the basement, we're going to put up the sandbags for the next couple of months? Or is it, look, we just have to figure out how to live with this, which is, by the way, where a lot of the government advisors are, are now moving. It's like, okay, Joe Biden said that he was going to eliminate COVID. He was going to just stop it. Well, he, that's been a failure. That, that hasn't happened. might not be Biden's fault, but it's been a failure. We haven't been able to stop COVID. And a lot of advisors are saying, look, we just need to change the way we look at this and figure out how we live with this. So my question is, how worried are you about it? Back with to discuss in just a minute, 855-616-1620. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text, Jeff. Myself and my family have it right now, actually. And at this point, I'm almost glad because it's very mild for us and it seems to be getting it is going to be inevitable at this point in time. In other words, everybody's going to get it. My wife and I are both vaxxed and fully boosted, so it is likely keeping symptoms milder and much more tolerable. I worry a little bit for my unvaccinated kids, but they're both fine with minimal symptoms, which is how COVID has always affected most kids. It's It's been less of a worry for for children uh, the most annoying part for me is the quarantining and the rearranging work schedules yeah i think that's I, I think that's the case and obviously if somebody gets covid that's what you have to do and that's what's causing at least the temporary shutdown in schools because in like for example at mps they just don't have enough staff 
that are not in a quarantine thing to come and, and run the classes. And th- that's, I think, probably going to be a nuisance and a problem for a week or two. But sooner or later, I think that that's, that's got to ebb because you're going to get to a point, given the number of people who are reportedly testing positive, and as I said a couple minutes ago, I, I'm sure that's that's just a fraction of the people because how many people take those private in-home tests that they're paying the 25 bucks for and it tests positive and they just say, okay, well, I've, I've got it. I'm not going to follow up. I'm just going to, uh, again, I'll, I'll stay home for a couple days and then I'll, I'll come in. And it's stuff that, you, that never even gets reported. So my guess is these numbers we're seeing, as astronomical as they are, are really just a, a small portion of actually the number of people to have it, not to mention the people who've had it and are asymptomatic and don't know it at all. Let's talk to Julie. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Thanks Julie. for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm really not terribly concerned for myself or my family. We're in fact going on a little vacation next week to Arizona. Um what I guess my concern is is I, I work in healthcare and I have so many friends and colleagues that work in ERs and ICUs. And again, I don't, I hate to beat a dead horse, but it's the unvaccinated. It's the unvaccinated that are getting pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my concern. Right. So not so much for you, not so much for your family, just the just the fact that, you know, it's not going to go away and the strain on the hospital system isn't going to go away as long as you still have 30 percent of the population that's not vaccinated. Exactly. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. I, I think that's, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting. If, if I had to if you were to say to me, Jeff, are, are you concerned about about getting covid yourself? And, and my answer would be no. I mean, I, I had covid. In, 19, in November of 2020, it was extremely mild. I, I was shocked that I came back as a positive test. It was a fever for like one night, a minor fever, and then, I, but but I had it. I mean, I actually worked from home, and I don't think anybody even knew that I had COVID. And to say at the time, I, I felt absolutely fine. And now, been vaccinated, been boosted. Uh, I guess I. I'm figuring, and for all I know, maybe I've had it again and just been absolutely asymptomatic. So, am I worried about that? No, I, I do think. The biggest concern that I have right now is the strain, and it's to the point that Julie was making, the strain that's being put on the um, the, the health care system, that you've got people who, who have COVID, and it's largely the unvaccinated that end up in the hospitals, not exclusively, but almost exclusively, that end up in the hospitals, and they're the ones that then take up the hospital beds. So the concern is, okay, what about the person that, that has the, the heart attack or needs the quote-unquote elective surgery that's been delayed and delayed and delayed. That, I think, is one of the overriding you know, health issues that are out there. But am I changing my life? Am I saying, okay, no, I'm not going to take a trip. I'm scheduled a trip to take at the end of next week. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I think I've done all I can reasonably do to protect myself. And without being reckless, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting ready to go back and, and live my life. Larry on the West, I'm sorry, Lucy on the West Side. Hi, Lucy. Hi there. Um, I, I really want to emphasize the importance of getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Until until Omicron, I didn't know many people with COVID. I mean, I knew of people with it. Yeah. But now that Omicron is here, I know a bunch of people with COVID. Yeah, like I said, and I have more people in the last had- month that I know than in the last two years. <laughs> and it's and, and all age range, seven, 17 to 79. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, I'm 
I'm in the high risk category because of age and because of some some um, pre existing conditions. So I was really careful to get vaxxed and boosted. My neighbor, some good friends of mine, um, are partially vaccinated and not boosted, and they're pretty sick. Um, they'll get over it, but know a bunch of other people that got it um, that. That they had to quarantine, which is giving sure. fits to an organization that I'm in sure. that's trying to put on a concert on Sunday. But the worst that happened is they had to stay home when they had mild cases. So the vaccination is important. I think the mask mandate now is like closing the barn door after the horse is long out. And it's just going to make people mad all over again. Mm-hmm. It's going to hurt Milwaukee businesses to the detriment, you know, the, the whole right. fight about, well, if you just boogie across the road in West Dallas and drink your beer there, why are we doing this to the local businesses? Um, for myself, I'm just, I see I'm not going and sitting inside places like I used to. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's getting the story, get out, do carry out. Um, but right. I, again, I think the mass mandate is, and most people are not, I love Dr. Wynn. She's the one I trust more than anybody else that comes on TV. And I know she wants me to go buy an N95 mask, and I'm not going to do it. Right? Yeah. Well, see that, that you know, Lucy, you raise an interesting point. The the uh, maybe, maybe with the earlier variants of COVID, the the cloth masks and maybe some of those paper masks, maybe because it wasn't as infectious, perhaps uh, uh, you know you you didn't you didn't have the the problem because you have to be able to breathe through the masks. But now with this new infected stuff, uh, the the masks in general, unless you're getting like you're talking about that N95 mask that's form fitted, and and people just aren't doing that. Uh, you know that the masks that have gaps, or I don't know about you, every time I go out, I, I just I I love. I see all these people who are wearing masks, but they're down around their noses or or, or whatever. They're they're not wearing them. Yeah, it's like okay, why bother? So right, right. No, I wear mine when I have to. Right. I'll post natural food co-op once in a mask up, and I do because I respect them and I'm a member and I like to get my stuff there, but. Sure. Um, I don't want to see it go citywide. Right. Now, thanks for call. I appreciate. And again, I my question would be that, and I and again, I'm not I'm not questioning. The thinking behind maybe the mask mandates a year and a half ago with the different variants. But as we, we talk about, science does, in fact, change. And this new variant that we're dealing with now that is infecting everybody, uh, the, the question becomes, do the masks really make that much of a difference? And, and what does the, the science show, especially given that most people aren't wearing the, the surgical N95 types of of masks, and if it doesn't make a lot of difference, just like what Lucy's saying, you know, what what is the purpose of this other than the fact that it's going to irritate a lot of people, it's going to hurt some businesses? If it doesn't, just like what happened the way I started this conversation was in London, you know, they they, they had this rule. They said, okay, well, we're going to make everybody. We're going to now make everybody you know, show proof of vaccination before they can come into the country. Well, okay, they do that, and they find it hasn't made any difference at all in stopping the spread of Omicron. So now what they're saying is, okay, well, it's imposing a burden on the travel industry. Let's let's reassess. What are we accomplishing by, by this? And if the answer is we're really not accomplishing anything except maybe kind of dithering around the edges, Maybe we need to move to plan B or plan C. And I think to, to his credit, I think, you know, Joe Biden, after originally coming out, like I said earlier, and saying we're going to stop COVID. Now they're, they're starting to to pivot 
to, okay, maybe we need to figure out how to live with this. And they're coming around to a position that I have been arguing for a year and a half, which is we need to perhaps focus less on the number of people that have it, especially nowadays, like I keep saying, with these home tests where we really have no idea how how many people actually have it. My guess is a lot more have it. They've tested positive. They're just not reporting it. And maybe what we need to do is start focusing more on the, the hospitalizations, the, the you know how many people are dying because of COVID, how many people are in the hospital because of COVID, and that's maybe the way to tell the real severity of this. Let's talk to Dan in Campbellsport. Hi, Dan. Hey, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I, we just got the home test. Um, the only reason why is because my wife and I are going down to a cruise ship in Louisiana on Sunday. Okay. And we have to pre, pre-test right. before we do this. So we're biting our fingernails right now, understanding if we pull it off or not, whether we're sick or not sick. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. And we don't feel it. Well, right, and but, uh, you can you be know, asymptomatic. Yeah. So, are you are you are you I hesitant about go, are you hesitant about going on the cruise? Are you afraid you're going to get sick on the cruise? No. Once I'm there, I'll be fine. Okay. I, I truly believe that, only because you have to. I mean, I don't even know anybody would even say anything if you're going to be sick, so to speak. You kind of isolate yourself. Yeah. Well, that's I, right. I mean, it, thanks. I mean, it's, it is interesting. I mean, I, I told this story before when we were on our river cruise in France in early September, you in order to get back into the country, you had to not to in, in, to, in order to get into France back then. Now, the rules have changed. But back then, in order to get into France, you had to be vaccinated. You had to show proof of vaccination in order to get back into the United States. You had to have a negative covid test taken 72 hours before your, your flight. And, you know, the, the cruise line we were on arranged to have everybody in the group, you know, that were tested and, and nobody tested positive. But, I mean, I will say that was the one kind of apprehensive moment because it's, uh, okay, well, you're on the ship. If somebody tests positive or if you test positive, you're you're going to be stuck. You're going to be quarantined for 10 days. And you might say, well, Jeff, there's worse things than being quarantined in Paris. Well, you're not in Paris. You're in a hotel room in like a quarantine hotel in Paris for 10 days. And that would have stunk. But thankfully, that didn't happen to anyone. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Wondering what 2022 will have in store? Join WTMJ on Wednesday, January 12th for the day-long broadcast on the topics that impact your everyday life. Politics, the economy, I'm handling that segment. Health, I'm handling that segment and more. Hear from big-name guests like Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers and Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson. It's WTMJ 2022 on January 12th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by the Bartolotta Restaurants. For more information, simply go to our website, WTMJ.com. So, one of our texters, fair, kind of snarky question, but that's okay. It's Friday. I don't mind the snark. So, what do you suggest, if not masks? And I said, well, that, that's a good question. I mean, here's here's what I would suggest. It would be, first of all, more convenient and more affordable testing. Now, I, I think I, I, I've said this before. I, I think Donald Trump got too much blame for the, the spread of, of COVID, but I understand it became this sort of political issue, and I don't think he handled COVID very well by trying to downplay it. All right. Joe Biden came in. I'm going to stop COVID. I'm, I'm going to end this. And of course, that turned out to be, I mean, the, the big lie of, of 20, 
21. He couldn't stop COVID. We got more COVID now than we had when Joe Biden took over. Now, again, it's a different variant, and you might say, well, there's nothing that Biden could have done. Well, the one thing that I think you can fairly criticize him for is the, the testing. And we've been hearing about testing and testing and testing and testing and testing since the beginning of this. And Biden had the opportunity to roll out tests, and now now we're trying to, once again to play catch up. Okay, we, we want to get, you know, 500 million tests in people hands. Well, okay, why why weren't we in a position to do that a month ago or two months ago or three months ago? I continue to believe that that given the spread of COVID, as I've said right for the longest time, I, I think candidly most of us are going to get it. But the way you minimize this is by saying, okay, well, if you make testing available to people and it, it's free, it's convenient, it's very easy for them to do, so you test positive, so you at least say, okay, now I know I've got it. It's, I know it's not just a sniffle. I know I, I'm testing positive for this, and I'm going to stay home for a couple of days. And I will that completely eradicate COVID? No, but you you know not to go out. So yeah, that that's where I think you you start. Now, as for masks, I think you can make a strong argument that masks were effective in dealing with other variations of COVID that we had earlier. Now. It's much more problematic because, as I've been saying repeatedly, you've got these communities that have mask rules in place, and, and their instances of this Omicron COVID thing is are the same, if not greater, than places that don't have mask rules. And I think part of it's just because it spreads easier, and you've got to – air does pass through between, you know, through the masks. That's how you breathe. And if you don't have one of the form-fitted masks, you know, you you're, it comes out on the sides and things like that. And, and so – you know, you wonder whether against this new variant, is masking really that effective? So, yeah, if you're asking me what would I do, it's what do I think the immediate answer is? I, th- I think it's much more testing made much more convenient, much cheaper and much more available so people can do this themselves and then take some control over it. And I think the other thing that you need to do, this is my other suggestion, is we need to figure out how to deal with the eliminate the strain on hospitals. And we've talked about this a couple times this week. If I'm Tony Evers, I'm having a conversation with the hospital executives across the state of Wisconsin, finding out what really is the status. How overburdened are the hospitals with COVID patients and are they really taking up beds? Are we turning away people that have other serious medical conditions because the COVID patients are taking them back? And if that turns out to be the case, then I think what you do is we start looking at saying, okay, maybe we need to reopen say, the the facility at State Fair, and we turn that into a COVID hospital, and we we make it easier because the, the guidelines to get into that the first time were very, very onerous. We just say, okay, this is where, if you've got overflow situations, this is where people are going. Now, you have to figure out how to staff it. I leave that to people who are smarter than me to do that. But, yes, the, this is where we're going to treat COVID, and we're going to free up our regular hospital spaces for, I don't know, the people that are in acute kidney failure and the people that are having heart attacks and all this other stuff because we we want to provide that treatment. And so maybe you do that as a triage. Those are two things that I would start with. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, this next story is in the category of be careful what you wish for. All right, a lot of people, myself included, 
saying, look, we, we need a change in the city of Milwaukee. And I, Tom Barrett, wherever you thought of him, I, I think Tom Barrett had run out of ideas. I think he just kind of was putting on a coaster for the last several years at a time where Milwaukee has very, very serious challenges. And some people might say, well, you know, why should we care about what goes on in the city of Milwaukee if we don't live there? And to me, that's that's a, just a it's a stupid thing to think because let's take crime as an example. Um, crime problems in the city of Milwaukee do not stop at the borders of, of the city of Milwaukee. Just look at oh I, any sort of car chase that occurs through the suburbs, and chances are probably better than even that it's a car that was stolen in Milwaukee or stolen by some juvenile who lives in Milwaukee who's now out in the suburbs, you know, drag racing or chase running from the police or whatever. I mean, I think it's naive to say that, oh, well, what, what do we care about what happens in the city of Milwaukee? So you've got right now 12 candidates who have filed paperwork to run uh the acting mayor cavalier johnson who i think is probably the leader in the clubhouse but who knows very liberal older woman marina dmitrievic former milwaukee alderman bob donovan has been a friend of the program he is what i would describe as one of the more conservative candidates milwaukee county sheriff Ronell lucas state senator lena taylor City Attorney Tierman Spencer, who's kind of been a train wreck at the city, is the city attorney, but now he wants to move up and be mayor. And then a, a group of people who you probably haven't heard of, a business guy named Michael Sampson, Nick McVeigh, community activist, Sheila Conley Patterson, Joel Pappelheim, and um, Winona Gardner. All, all, I, and I don't mean this to be offensive, but I would describe that as a second tier of candidates, only in the sense of name recognition. And then there's the 12th. Um, her name is Aisha Griffin. And interestingly, in the category of the last, maybe first, of all these 12 candidates that I just listed, the only one who has, as at least as of this moment, to my knowledge, the only one who has turned in the necessary signatures that if, if they're all approved, that she'll be on the ballot. Um, she turned you need what happens is you need to have 50 you have, need to turn in nominating papers and you need to have at least 1500 valid signatures she turned in 1564 signatures so assuming that uh, no more than 65 no more than 64 of those signatures are invalid and they always stuff always gets thrown out for some reason but assuming that she's got a little bit of a cushion um she she is going to be on on the ballot and as it stands now she's the only candidate that's turned in her signatures now look i'm not naive i understand that many of these other folks are going to turn in the signatures maybe not all of them i mean 1500 it's not that many, but at the same time, you know, we're the, you're, you're collecting signatures over the holidays, and it's cold, and you've got, you know, the uh, uh, the Omicron variant that's there. So uh, my guess is a couple of the lesser-known candidates might have trouble getting those 1,500 signatures, and you have until Tuesday to turn them in. But right now, at least as far as I know, the only one who's turned in their signatures is this Aisha Griffin. You might say, "What? Why do I hear that name? Do I, do I remember that from before?" Well, <laughs> as it stands now, the only person to run for the city of Mo- Milwaukee mayor who's turned in their signatures, um, she, yes, she was around. She she's run for a lot of stuff in 2010 and 2012. She ran for mayor and state assembly and alderwoman and stuff. You might remember her run for her run for state assembly in 2010. She she made national news because she went to the Government Accountability Board, and um, it doesn't exist anymore, but at the time, 
under her name on the ballot for the state assembly seat, she wanted to have the slogan, not the white man's, and I don't choose to use this word, but let me put it like this. It starts with B, it ends with H, and it rhymes with ditch. That's what she wanted to have as her slogan, not the white man's fill in the blank. And the Government Accountability Board said, no, you cannot do that. She became very upset with that. She said, I'm not making a derogatory statement towards an ethnic group. I'm stating what I'm not. It's my constitutional right to freedom of speech. All right, well, okay, that's her. <laughs> she, she right now is the only one that's turned into signatures for um, the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. Right now, the slogan, it, it's, it's morphed. It's no longer, I'm not the white man's fill-in-the-blank. Now it's, I'm the change you need and want. I'm the change you need and want. And she's running as, what's, what's the... Her website is Poor People's Piece of the Pie Campaign. So right now, those are some of the choices that you have. And, and she says, she's the change you need and want. Ah, well, I, I think we need some change in the city of Milwaukee. No doubt about that. Whether or not Aisha Griffin represents that, that's, I think, more of an open question. But right now, she's the one that's turned in her signatures. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Welcome back. All right. A lot of retirements or step downs in the news today. Uh, Former Governor Tommy Thompson um, who has taken over and I think done a really strong job. He um, came in and he has been the interim president of the University of Wisconsin system. Took over, what, about a year and a half or so ago in, um, yeah, 18 months. And, you know, he, he you know, he, came into a system that was sort of in disarray and you were doing dealing with the pandemic and things like that. And he's he's done, I think, a very, very good job. But he was always the interim president. Um, he never intended this to be a long-term gig. Tommy has announced that he is going to be stepping down effective March 18th. I guess that was a... I, I, that didn't come, come as a surprise. I know it's it's like headline news, but he... When I had a chance to talk to uh, Tommy back at our, our WTMJ uh, holiday event, you know, that's that's what he said. I said, "How long are you going to do it?" He said, "A couple more months, and then I'm gone." And I said, "What are you going to do next? You're going to retire?" And he said, "No." Nah. I said, "I'm I'm not the retiring type. I've got some other things in mind." So I thought it's kind of interesting to see, but but he's he's stepping down. Um, from that particular position. There's an announcement that uh, re- the re- one of the Republican senators, Kathy Bernier of Chippewa Falls, and she's been one of the people who's been critical of the ongoing you know, election reviews that seem to, to never end. You know, she's just announced that she's stepping down from the, the Senate. She's not going to run for re- re-election. She says, hey, it's not this controversy. She says, I'm 65. It's just there's other things that I want to do. Um, politically, I was looking at the number of announcements in Congress. You have, uh, so far and counting, 23 Democrats in the House of Representatives have already announced that they are retiring 
or they're going to be leaving office to run for a different office. And this is it's creating some problems for Democrats who are trying to find, you know, replacements and quality replacements to run from. But it seems like everywhere you turn, you've got people who are saying, look, I'm, I'm ready to do something different. In the uh, news that Melissa was presenting at uh, one o'clock, you know, we were talking about that. They were talking about the, the lousy job numbers that, that came out the that came out just today that's kind of dragging down the, the stock market, but also the fact that, you know, this has been the year or two of, of the Great Resignation. And over the last couple of years, more and more people have made the decision that, okay, they're, they don't want to be in the workforce anymore. And one of the things that you are seeing is a lot of those people who are making the decisions are people who are maybe under normal circumstances, let's say they're they're 57 and they would have worked till they were 62 or 65, and they're deciding, enough, I, I don't want to go back into the workforce. I'm, I'm done with this. Or maybe they're 60, and they were going to work till 65. They're saying, that's it, I'm, I'm done. And they're trying to figure out ways to and they do the math, and they figure, okay, well, you know, can, can we get by? Can we, you know, live on, you know, what our savings are? Can we use our savings compared with Social Security and all this other stuff we get? Do, do I have to continue to work? And lots of people are, are just making this decision. They're saying no, even though they are capable of working, but they're moving on. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you feel about this? I mean, if you were in a position to say, I, I don't have to work, don't have to come in anymore, would you choose not to? Now, I understand the reality is most of us work because you hopefully you like what you do, but also you, you like getting paid every week or every two weeks or twice a month or whatever it is. You like having the employer paid health insurance. You like having all those nice things that the job offers you, that the income. But if if you could figure out a way that, all right, I, I can I can make it. I, I in between Social Security and savings or whatever, I mean, would you continue to work or would you simply say, okay, time to move on? And I think you're seeing a lot of people, especially in the last couple of years, who are, are choosing the latter. They're saying, all right, you know, we've maybe maybe it's a situation where somebody lost their job. The job disappeared at the start of the pandemic. And now it's like, you know what? I found I can get by. So I'm not in a hurry or I'm not planning to go back to work at all. 855-616-1620. I think there's a lot of that stuff going on that people are just realizing maybe that life is is short. Now, there's some people who, who dropped out of the workforce, um, maybe because they didn't like what they were doing, etc., and they're younger, and they were just kind of hanging on until the government benefits disappear, and now at some point in time they have to go back to work. That's not really the people I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people for whom going back to work is an option, and they're choosing no. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jim in Illinois. Jim, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. And here's my situation. 62 years old. I had a real medical scare. I had to have five bypass surgeries. Mm-hmm. If I could retire and have Medicaid, Medicare, you know, I would quit my job before this phone call was over. <laughs> uh, because, you know what, I feel like I'm done. And uh, so, yeah, if... If they changed our health care system to where it should be, 
where you're, you don't have to worry about your job to have health insurance, right. I would be gone. Are you? Is it just? Is it just because of the medical situation? You're starting to realize, hey, life is short, and there's other stuff I want to do besides working. Is that? Is that really what's kind of driving that? Which well, I understand. I under, which I understand. Wife. By the way, if that's it, I get it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, my wife took a picture of me, which I can't not, not even look at, and I said, "Oh heck no, I, uh, I I'm done." You know, because now at this point. You know, basically, I was dead for eight hours. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember that, thank God. Um, but it was like, you know what? It's time. It's time to yeah. go enjoy the grandkids yeah. and everything else in life because you're not appreciated at work. Right. Um, I mean, if I would have died on that table, they would have had the ad in the paper the very next day <laughs> yeah. trying to refill my position. Right. G- so, you right. know what? Right. G- Jim's dead. Job's open. Come and fill it. That would be it. You huh? got it. Come and, <laughs> come and get it. Yeah. And, uh, and I know that, so I, I would go. But we, we, yeah. And I, I do believe Joe Biden said that he wanted to make Medicare and Medicaid at sixty, I think, or sixty-two. Uh, there was some promise I heard. Yeah. And that's just what it was, unfortunately. Got it. Okay. Um, no, I got yeah, it. Got it, it. it. Okay. Thanks for calling, Jim. I appreciate it. No, I, I, I think there is a lot of that sentiment, Jeff. Okay, I got a lot of text on this, Jeff. I'm sixty-three. I would work part time, Jeff. I worked in warehousing for thirty years. I had enough. Um, I, I had enough of that, and I, I started driving for Grubhub. I love it. Um, I'd never go back, so I guess I would describe as stuff. I would say I am semi-retired. Um, Jeff, I would quit in a heartbeat if I knew I could have mostly the same lifestyle. Jeff, if somebody can't can make it financially and doesn't have the fire in the belly to keep doing the job, then uh, deciding not to work would not be a surprise. Jeff, if your manager is a jerk, that that makes all the difference, right? If, you, if you're incredibly unhappy that's there i think i think a lot of people are are saying kind of what jim was saying and and i think that's one of the things that's driving this i don't think people are are lazy and 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 again i'm I'm talking about the folks that are, are maybe close to retirement maybe within 10 years of retirement who would have would have up until the last couple of years would have planned to do that just keep on working but I think one of the things that's happened with the pandemic, it's caused everybody to kind of take a step back and reflect on, on where they are in life. And, uh, I mean, I, I appreciate, you know, in the case of our last caller, Jim, you know, he, he had a health scare. I mean, a quintuple bypass. My God, that's it. My, my guess is if you are like me, you reach a certain point where you, you get all these phone calls and you see all, all sorts of people who, you know, were important, you know, friends or family members or whatever who, you know, are, as they age, you know, it's, oh, I just got this call and so-and-so's fighting cancer or so-and-so's got this issue or so-and-so's got that answer and that, that issue. And it makes you realize that, as we talk about frequently, life life is short. I think a lot of people are having that assessment saying, hey, uh, what, what do I want to do? And, and obviously, you, you work because it allows you to, to, you know, put food on the table and pay the rent and things like that. But for people who've accumulated money and stuff, and they're simply saying, "Okay, well, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to be that next person that goes in for the regular checkup to my doctor and gets this diagnosis that I've got terminal cancer and I've got six months to live. I, I want to, and I never got a chance to see this, or I never got a chance to do that, or I never got a chance to go there." And, and I think more and more people are making what I think is a 
reasonable decision to say, okay, maybe maybe we want to see what's going to come next in in life. And I think that's what's driving this. Now, it's posing a challenge for employers, mind you, because a lot of these employers, they're losing experienced people. You know, you're losing that, that learning tree, that institutional knowledge, and it, it's tough to replace a lot of those workers. But if they can do it, I, I certainly understand why a lot of people are making that decision. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. In the last segment of the program, we talked about people voluntarily saying, okay, enough enough is enough. I'm, I'm ready to stop doing what I'm doing. Then there's the story of Antonio Brown. And this story, it's it comes, I guess, from the world of sports, but it's more than just a, a sports story. For those of you who might not follow football, Antonio Brown is 33 years old. Antonio Brown was a very, very successful football player. He, he comes from like the Miami area, and he went on to star at Central Michigan University in 2000, like eight and 2009. He got drafted in by the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, and in the sixth round. And really, in some respects, an incredible success story because he went from a, a sixth round draft pick in 2010 to a dominating wide receiver, played with Pittsburgh from 2010 through 2018, set all sorts of records. He was with the uh, Steelers in the Super Bowl that they lost to the Packers uh, that, that year, 2010-2011, but incredibly successful seasons, um, made a boatload of money. For example, in 2012, the Steelers signed him to a five-year $42.5 million contract extension that included a, a $8.5 million signing bonus, and he continued playing with, with the Steelers. So he was there for years and years. Things went bad in 2017, and actually 2018 is when things really started to go um, bad because he, he sort of had a falling out with Steelers management and other players. He got into an argument with Ben Roethlisberger, who is the was the Steelers quarterback, who's going to be retiring after this year. He then got upset. He skipped practices leading up to a game. He got benched um, for that game because he skipped practices, and it started off this again this this disharmony between him and the team. And he he wanted to force his way out. And so ultimately, the Steelers accommodated him, and they traded him to the Oakland Raiders for the 2019 football season. Well, he never played for Oakland. And if you ever watched that HBO series, Hard Knocks, you, you saw this play out because he, he gets to the Oakland Raiders trading camp, and they're all excited. They think this guy's going to be the thing they need to really get him back into the playoffs. And it, it, it goes very, very badly. Um, he became upset. First of all, in the off season, he, he did something to get himself frostbite, and so he, he couldn't fully practice, and he missed all these training camp practices. And then there was this beef where he he didn't like the helmet that they gave him, and he wanted to wear his old helmet. And the NFL had these new safety helmets, and he refused to do that. And so there was this huge problem with that. He he refused to practice, um, and then you know got into a, a huge argument. Um, in September, he was fined $54,000 because of unexcused absences and missing two team practices. Uh, and then he publicly retaliated against that and got into a fight 
a verbal argument with the general manager, called him all sorts of names, apparently threatened to hit him, things like like that, and had to be held back by several of his teammates. Um, so okay, at that point in time, what ends up happening is Oakland gets rid of him. They, they dump him. They say, okay, enough is enough. So he's cut without ever having played the game. Well, okay, then the New England Patriots pick the guy up because Tom Brady wanted him to play there. Three days after he arrives in New England, he's accused in a lawsuit of sexual assault. Um, he played in one more game before it was reported that he had sent intimidating text messages to a different woman who had accused him of sexual assault as well. So this was too much for even Bill Belichick, the, man- the general manager of the Patriots, or the coach of the Patriots. So, so they, they cut him after he only plays one game. You, you get the, the pattern. So he was unemployed throughout the entire 2019 season, and for a portion of 2020, while he served an eight-game suspension for his role in a disagreement with a moving company employee, for which he pled no contest to burglary and battery charges, for which he served one year of probation. So he gets suspended. All right. Then what happens is Tom Brady, who's now in Tampa Bay, Tom Brady says, we, we really we should bring this guy in. We, we think that this guy could could help us. So they sign him in October of 2020 at the conclusion of the suspension that he had. And he goes on and he, and he helps the team and he catches a few passes and things like that. Well, this year, um, he ends up getting suspended because he, he, he filed these false documents claiming that he had a COVID vaccination when he didn't have a COVID vaccination. So he he suspended for a bunch of games for that. So the guy's been in and out of all these these troubles. Last weekend, he gets benched. He gets mad about that. And then he just walks off the field. This was the guy who you've probably seen the film clips of it. He's pulling off and he's on the bench and he's upset and he's pulling off his jersey and he pulls off his shoulder pads and he takes off his shirt and he walks off the field throwing all his stuff into the the crowd and just thursday yesterday the patriots of the patriots the tampa bay team finally got around to cutting him so that that's the in four minutes that's the story of antonio brown a very very talented guy who has been at least over the course of the last couple years nothing but but trouble and, you know, well, he starts off with Pittsburgh, ends up in Oakland, for which he doesn't play a, a down for, you know, um, goes from Oakland to, you know, New England, where he, you know, plays, I think, like one week and then ends up getting cut, then goes from New England to Tampa. And, you know, the thing in Tampa doesn't end well. But by all measures, even at the age of 33, the guy is still able to run and catch footballs and things like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think he comes back? Is this the end of the road for Antonio Brown? Or there will there be a team out there who thinks, you know, we, we, we know the guy's got some issues, but he's incredibly, incredibly talented when he wants to play, and he can still catch a football, and, you know, maybe it will be different now with us than it was all these other times 
Will Antonio Brown be back on the field? Now, obviously, he's going to be disciplined from the by the NFL for the stunt he pulled. He's going to get another suspension. But that suspension will at some point in time end. Do you think another team in the NFL is going to take take him on? And in asking that question, I also ask all you women out there who, I don't know, met a guy and were convinced that you could change that guy. Maybe that guy had all sorts of really bad habits, but you know, you, you were going to be the one that was going to change him. You could get him straightened out. If you were in his life, all those other things that he'd been doing for the last 30 some years that had driven all those other, the, for those three other ex-wives away or whatever, it wasn't going to happen with you because you were going to change him. For everybody out there, all you ladies out there, for example, who know that guy I'm talking about, how did that work out? 855-616-1620. Will Antonio Brown be back? This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, Antonio Brown would have been a first-round draft pick if not for the red flags about his behavior in college. I do think, though, he will get a fourth chance. Well, actually, it would probably be fifth chance. Pittsburgh, Oakland, uh, New England, Tampa Bay. I uh, get a fifth chance, but I would be embarrassed for that organization. If it were up to me, I would not sign any professional athlete with domestic violence issues or this type of embarrassing behavior. It seems to me he has mental health issues, but you can't force anyone to seek help. I, I mean, I just, I guess I, I do think that for, for everybody, uh, again, who, you know, says, okay, well, I, I'm going to be able to change this person. And it'll be a different culture if you come to Cleveland than it was in Pittsburgh or Oakland or New England or Tampa. We're, we'll be able to deal with this. And the answer is, why do you think that? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Bob in Greenfield. Hi, Bob. Hey, Jeff. Um, I think he'll um, get another chance in the NFL, but it would have to be like a risk-reward thing where he would be paid like just a very minimum, maybe a million, two million. <laughs> just, a, just think about what we're saying. Just, he's just going to be paid a, a minimum, like a million or two. And I understand what you're saying, but let's just think about it. We're only going to give the guy two million because he's a head case. <laughs> I'd like to make two million. But, you know, there, there's such an emphasis now on passing in the NFL where they, they've tried to push it that way, where they do anything to uh, protect the quarterback. And it's mm-hmm. such a volatile thing where injuries can just, like they, he was their third receiver. Right uh, now, they have one receiver left, and he's not at a hundred percent going into the last week of the season. You know where you can have injuries. I know Josh Gordon; he was a great receiver, but he he's had I think it was drug problems, right. and right. he's been out of the league two or three times. He was with New England. So as long as they now, have ta- know, as like, as long as they have talent. You think that there's going to be some team somewhere that's going to take a chance on them, despite the fact that they're 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 proven they're they're proven to be they're proven cancers on a team, but there'll some be some team that says, okay, we're going to take a chance and, and see what we get with the guy because he's he's a talented receiver. Well, I, I guess the cancer thing. You hear the cancer thing. They said Beckham was a cancer. You know, I mean, I don't know how he interacts with the other players, but. He is a he is a talent, and yeah. if you could get him for minimal, and you know just be able to cut him at a, a minimal loss, you know financially, but you had him there if something went wrong, mm-hmm. and he can still perform at a high level. Do you think, think some team will sign him? You know, I mean the league. Um, I do. You know, but 
it won't be now. Yeah, right. It'll be next year. Got it. No, and, thanks uh, for calling. You know, I, suppose- I, no, I appreciate it. No, they, interestingly, um, somebody texted me this. The the Las Vegas odds makers who will take bets on anything, the the, the overall, the, the consensus is that he won't be back in 2022. But there are teams, and of the different teams, they say they have the potential of signing him. Green Bay Packers they are, are the number one team. Now, I... I cannot imagine a situation where the Green Bay Packers would bring a guy like this into that that team, especially certainly this year, but even you know moving forward. I just I just don't see the Packers doing it. And somebody said, well, remember they they went and got Andre Risen, and you know that was key to that first Super Bowl and stuff. Well, yeah, I remember that, but but Andre Risen didn't have you know didn't have you know payoffs to, to different women for sexual uh, assault and and Andre Risen hadn't walked off the the field and quit on his team in the middle of a game so I now I, I can't see the Packers touching him Mike in Illinois hi Mike you're on WTMJ good afternoon Jeff how are you I'm well thank you what do you think so much to unpack here my goodness um, first of all uh, unfortunately I think some team will um, I don't think that he should, but uh, especially with the domestic violence issues and how the NFL said they're going to crack down on that. Uh, but unfortunately, probably some team will. I don't think it's the Packers because, you know, you got uh, you got Devontae Adams. Compare him to Devontae Adams. You have no problems with Devontae Adams off the field. Yet yeah. You're going to bring this guy on? I don't believe it. You know, your uh, analogy about the, uh, the woman trying to, you know, take the guy back. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was an excellent analogy, and it you know made me think more because just like if he goes to another team, he will be on his best behavior at first. Yeah. But more than likely, he will revert back to his old behavior. Yeah, and you know it's going to happen. No, thanks for calling. You, you're right, Mike, and and you know you know it is going to happen because the the the, the past you know, presages the future. And look, and I understand, are you saying, Jeff, are you saying that people are incapable of changing? Well, no, of course not. But at the same time, what once there's sort of a, a pattern that kind of develops, all right, so he has the issues in Pittsburgh and he forces his way out. Oh, okay, that's that, that's fine. You got a second chance. You get a fresh start in Oakland. Well, you never play it down for Oakland because you're, you're nothing but trouble. You're not following instructions. You're creating all this controversy. Okay, so you're out of football for there. Then you get another chance. Chance at New England, you last a couple weeks, then you get another chance at Tampa Bay, then you walk off the field, and in between, you've been suspended for big chunks of time for whether it's sexual assault or faking the vaccination card. I mean, at some point in time, you, you become so unreliable that why why would a team take a chance on you, especially in today's, I guess, NFL, where I look and I, I understand if you can perform, that matters a lot. But at the same time, where everything that's done is, is scrutinized so publicly. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm the general manager of a team, and I've got this guy who has a, a history of sexual assault, what, who's got a history of quitting on his team, who's got a history of threatening to punch out the general manager, and who for the last four or five years, despite what his talent might be, you know, he's, let, let, let's face it, wide receivers do not age as a general rule, like fine wine in the NFL. And even if the guy's still talented, he's 35, 33 years old. So he's, he's coming to the end of his, his career. 
and he's a head case, and he's all these different problems. And if you bring him in, you know you're going to have a huge, huge public relations issue because for every person that's out there that's thinking, hey, this is great, maybe he can get you a couple key catches and help get your team to the Super Bowl, there's going to be a lot of other people thinking, what does this do to the, the team ethos, and how desperate are you that you have to bring in somebody like this? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, a number of people are saying, well, you know, we, we think he suffers, the, the guy's got a mental illness problem, you know, he suffers from CTE or things like that. Maybe, maybe. I, I Now, th- there's been character, I'm going to use the, the phrase character, he's had character issues, you know, going back to when he was in college. And it's just, I think, become more pronounced as he's made more money and become more and more successful. But yeah, maybe there are issues, you know, like that. But at the same time, that's an argument, it seems to me, to, okay, get the guy medical treatment and get the guy help, but not to to bring him back. I cannot imagine a team, even recognizing that there are teams right now that are going to be in the playoffs that are absolutely desperate for, you know, a quality wide receiver. I can't imagine that a team would touch this guy. And my guess is, if you ask me, do I think his career is over? No, because I think as long as he can catch a football, there will be some team willing to take a chance on him. But this fifth chance, I would not be shocked if it ends just like the other four ended. You, ladies, going back to where we started this, you know, if, if you got that guy and and everybody else has tried to change him for the last 35 years and, and they've all failed and you think you've got that special magic formula, you know, take it from me. Go with God. God bless you. But don't be surprised if it doesn't work out. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Give me strength. This is the classic example of, of virtue signaling. You know, Earlier in the program, we were talking about mask mandates, and the, the city of Milwaukee has, up until now, resisted this, the knee-jerk urge to reinstitute a, a mask mandate. Now, I don't want to go over all the ground that we talked about in the, the 1 o'clock hour, but I think one of the big concerns that, that people have nowadays is, is whether whatever effectiveness masks had at the beginning with a different kind of, of COVID, with, with the Omicron variant, if, if you look at communities that have mask mandates, right, the, the, their surges are, are no less than the surges in communities that don't. And it raises this question about whether most masks have any, beyond just tinkering around the edges, have real any real impact on on the transference of this particular vari- variant of, of the virus. And I think everybody, or at least most of the scientists, would certainly agree that uh, given how transmissible this is, if a mask is going to have any effect, it, it, it can't be a cloth mask that lets air in and out as freely as it does. It can't be one of those cheap paper masks that lets air in and out on the sides or that you can easily breathe through. If it's going to be any effective sort of thing, you, you have to, number one, wear it properly, not down around your nose or not, you know, kind of uh, askew a on your face. And it also has to be one of these, these tight-fitting surgical type of masks, the N95 or the KN95 or something like that. that and, and even at that... 
I think it's kind of up in the air as to how effective this is going to be, which is, you know, one of the reasons people are asking questions about the mask mandate. So in the city of Milwaukee, though, where we're we're all about virtue signaling, you now have a number of of aldermen who are saying, okay, this is what we got to do in order to stop the spread of, of Omicron, what we have to do is we have to reinstitute the, this indoor mask mandate, something that hasn't been into an effect for a while. Now, the health commissioner has been somewhat, and the, the acting mayor, have been skeptical about this. And, and their arguments, I think, have been kind of compelling. Let, let's talk about what the mayor said. He said, look, I, you know, we, we're not seeing the the masks is making much difference and our our concern is we put this requirement on businesses well we we don't know that that's really going to make any appreciable difference because where we think we're really seeing the spread it's not you walk into the hardware store and you just pass somebody it's more often that you go to the packers game at somebody else's house and there's 15 people sitting around in the basement and you're in close contact for a long period of time that that's where we think we see a lot of the spread i'm just giving an example of that and and there, there's no way that we can enforce that i mean we we can't force you to make your guests wear were masks in their home. And so if, if we can't do it in the situations where we think it's most likely to spread, what, why bother? All right, but that, that, that doesn't matter because we've got members of Common Council who are, are virtue signalers. And just this afternoon, a Milwaukee Common Council committee recommended passage of a reinstituted mask mandate by a three to zero to two vote. So two people abstained. So now it goes on January 18th to the full Common Council. But, but here's, here, here's the interesting thing. The, the Milwaukee Health Commissioner, Kristen Johnson, who has, you know, rejected calls to, to use her executive power to try to put an emergency health order in effect. And I think she's probably right that it was a big of questionable authority for her to do this. But she says, well, look, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with an indoor mask order, but she says, I, I, I don't think it will necessarily have an impact on our burden rate. Now, it might protect some employees, but she said, Here, here's the deal. First of all, if you've got a city mask mandate, then all you have to do is people walk across the street to another municipality where they don't have the requirement, which kind of defeats that. She then says, okay, here's the other problem. She says, we, we can't enforce it. You can put in a mask mandate, but it is absolutely unenforceable. She says, Here, here's the deal. She says, what right now what happens is we're we're putting all our resources into into testing and all our staff the city health department is fully allocated to staffing testing and vaccination sites and by the way all you members of the common council you want these vaccination sites and the testing sites to be open more and we don't we don't have the staffing to achieve that so but We've got everybody. It's all hands on deck. We're trying to get people tested. We're trying to get people, you know, vaccinated. And that's what we're doing. So if you say to us, okay, we're going to put a mask mandate in effect, right, we're just telling you we can't enforce it. We we don't have people to enforce it. And obviously, you're not going to pull people off the street. You're not going to pull cops off the street to try to enforce this. So apparently, what's going to happen is they are proposing to put in the mask mandate, but there's no enforcement measure at, at all. So we're, we're going to say you got to do it, 
but there's no enforcement measure. There's, there's no enforcement mechanism, and the health department's already saying they do not have the resources to do it. And candidly, they're probably saying that, you know, and even if we did have the resources to do it, you know, we, we would make, it wouldn't make any sense because it's much better to try to, you know, get the testing done and try to get the vaccinations done. So even if we had enough people, it wouldn't make sense to pull people off of what they're already doing. So they're going to go ahead and and apparently do this. I mean, the Common Council, I guess, can fully decide, but they're going to go ahead and do this. At least the committee has recommended you put a mask mandate in place. You have no enforcement mechanism at all. And, of course, even if you put a mask mandate in effect, it's not going to be presumably that you have to wear one of these surgical N95 masks. So my question then is, is it really, okay, why bother doing something like this if you're going to, I don't know, allow people to walk in with the uh, with the, the, the cloth masks that pretty much everybody agrees aren't very good at, at all in, in dealing with this stuff? The ultimate example of virtue signaling we're going to try to do something. We want to just pass an ordinance because we think it's going to do something when at the end of the day, it does nothing. It's kind of like if if you if you really believe that the way out of the current surge is to require everybody to wear masks, fine. But then then you put that requirement in place and then you give teeth to the law and you say we're pulling people or we're pulling cops off the street to enforce this. We're pulling people out of the testing sites. We're pulling people out of the vaccination sites. We're going to make this a, a priority, and we're going to enforce it. And we're going to be vigorous about it. And if you don't do it, if that's not, if you're not willing to make that commitment, why bother? Otherwise, it becomes just, again, useless virtue signaling. But when it comes to fighting COVID, virtue signaling apparently is the best idea that some people have. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Interesting success story. The way we consume entertainment has changed dramatically over the last several years. Um, It when I was a kid, for example, growing up and you wanted to watch television, well, you had a choice of, you know, three or four major TV stations. You had the PBS station, and then maybe you had like a UHF station, Channel 18, Channel you know, 24, th- those sort of things. And that was pretty much it. And if you wanted to see a movie, you went to the, the movie theater and you did that. Well, now it, it, it it's all been turned on its edge with the internet and with streaming and things like that we now have others all these choices you had cable television with hundreds of different choices that are out there on top of the cable television you've got all the streaming services you've got your netflix and you've got your hulu and your peacock and your discovery plus and your youtube channel and your amazon prime and the list goes on and and on so it's pretty much if you're willing to pay for it you can get pretty much anything you you want and you don't have to go out to the theaters if you don't choose to um you are in a position where that you know it's one of those things there's nothing on tv or whatever you, you put on netflix and they've got the choices of hundreds of different things if you can't find something you want to watch you're really probably not trying that hard well even in this crowded field of all the stuff that's out there there's some really interesting success stories here here's the deal hbo and HBO Max, which is their their 
high-end streaming service. HBO is, of course, the premium cable channel. The streaming service HBO Max and the cable channel HBO ended 2021 with a combined 73.8, let's round it up, 74 million global subscribers. And that was a million more than they had originally predicted. The streaming service expanded into 46 countries in the past year. So what we're seeing is that, you know, you have at least, and other streaming services are doing well, too. Disney Plus is doing well. You know, Netflix is doing well. But HBO and HBO Max are, are hitting its targets and, and more. And and there's obviously something about this formula that, that's working and is generating a willingness of people to pay extra to see this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, as somebody who has HBO and HBO Max, I will tell you, I find myself... I. I think that it, it's – I'm not in a position to say it is the – when I watch streaming services, I don't know that it's the one that I watch the most. But it, I think Netflix is still basically my go-to more often than not, and occasionally, you know, Disney for some of, like, the Marvel movies and stuff. But I, I will say HBO Max is right up there with, with Netflix. I find myself going to that more and more often. Our number, 855-616-1620. What is the success of these streaming services, and why are people willing to pay extra for them? Is it just, okay, we we just want to see these movies over and over again, or is there something else that they have tapped into? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, with, with HBO Max, the real value is that they offer theatrical releases, of movies at or around the same time that the, the movies appear in the theaters. I was telling this story the other day. I, I like the first Matrix movies. I like the first one better than the second one. I like the second one better than the third one. But they, they roll out the, the new Matrix, the movie 20 years after the debut. It, it's it's in theaters, but rather than have to spend, you know, $10, $12, $15 piece for tickets and also then, you know, another 30 bucks for popcorn and a soda, I could watch Matrix on HBO, the new Matrix movie on HBO Max. And I could then justify, I said, oh, okay, it was fine for, for free or rolled into the charge. I'm glad I didn't drop $15 a piece for, for two tickets. 855-616-1620. Why, why is HBO and HBO Max why are they succeeding? And if you're a fan, I'd be curious to talk to you. 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It's sort of a breaking news story. It, it's not official official, but I've been telling you that this was going to happen for the last several weeks. Um, multiple reports out there that U.S. Senator Ron Johnson is, well, the way the Journal Sentinel writes it, appears poised to announce as early as next week, that he's running for re-election. And they quote two highly placed Republican sources. I've been telling you for the last several weeks that every indication that I have is that Ron Johnson had made the decision that he was going to run again for re-election. And so that's, I guess, it. It, you, it's never official, official until you hear it from the senator's mouth. But I, I think it's, it's been very clear. And if you listen to, for example, some of our conversations we've had on the air, I think it's very clear that the senator has been signaling that he was, in fact, going to run for reelection. This becomes an extremely interesting thing because 
Uh, this makes Wisconsin ground zero to the extent it, it was before, wasn't going to be before. It, it certainly is now ground zero in, in the midterm battles. Uh, Ron Johnson as a Republican has been a, um, well, there's no question he has been a, a lightning rod. Democrats thought he was going, we had no chance to beat Russ Feingold when he ran 12 years ago. Democrats thought he had no chance to be reelected when Russ Feingold ran against him six years ago. And now he's clearly, I think, perceived as perhaps the most vulnerable, if he runs again, the most vulnerable Republican in the Senate. If nothing else, he's the only Republican who's running for reelection in a state this year where Joe Biden carried. So that that's that's it. And of course, he's been this lightning rod. You already have all these national groups that are running all sorts of these attack ads and have been running attack ads against him for for months. But the reports are that Ron Johnson is, in fact, going to run again. And uh, like I say, for, for people who underestimate Senator Johnson, you, you do that at, at your peril. I mean, like I say, nobody thought he was going to win in 2012. Nobody thought in 2010. Nobody thought he was going to win again in 2016. And, you know, he, he's still there. It is going to be a fascinating race because you've got all sorts of things going on. You've got the people who are out there trying to beat Ron Johnson and portray him in a certain light. And then again, you've got, um, you know, the the headwind that Democrats are going to be running in in general, unless things turn around dramatically, because they, they've got the whole, you've got the whole, you know, Joe Biden failed presidency at this point in time. Maybe that'll turn around, but, but who knows? In any event, the reports are Ron Johnson getting ready to run again. On our question of the streaming services and HBO Max and things like that, I, I think that, that we're getting a ton of texts on that. I think most people are agreeing with me that it's a situation where what you have is you have the you know the, the first run movies and that access to stuff that you couldn't otherwise get that's what the appeal of the streaming services are and I, I think they're huge competition to movie theaters and that's going to be the problem moving forward but for those of us who love movies and like movies being able to be watched in the comfort of our own home it, it's really a golden age we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.